Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Amen. Are you glad you're saved this morning? Amen. You ought to be. If you are saved this morning, then you have a reason to be thankful. Amen. In fact, if you're saved this morning, you've got a reason to be, to be thankful uh, no matter what is going on in your life right now. There is no situation in life bad enough to not be glad you're saved. In fact, the worse life gets, the more happy you should be that you're saved. Amen? Because we have a promise of a better tomorrow. Well, this week I was reading the book of Job just in my general devotional reading. Uh, and, and something I've been doing here lately, when I read <clears throat> through where I'm at in my Bible reading, I, at the end of it, I'll go read a chapter of Psalms, and then I'll read a proverb that, so, that correlates with the date. So uh, today being the 20, what is it, the 25th today? The 25th, it'd read Proverbs chapter 25 today. So the other day I was reading, and I read in Job, and Job is a man, oftentimes when we think about Job, we think about how he said... Uh, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Which, by the way, is, is the right attitude, but not an easy attitude to have. The Bible told us that, that Job was a righteous, he was an upright, the, God used the word perfect in describing him in, in terms of his spiritual maturity. He was a good man in the eyes of God, that he was right with God and serving God. Uh, but after God allowed the devil to hurt Job, and then even take his family, take his children, take all of his, his, his uh, cattle, all those things, all of his livestock, and then attack his own body with sores and boils. Job said this, he said, I just want to die. He said, God just, if God would just let me die, then I'd be happy because there is no joy or good left for me in this life. That is a dark place to reach. Now, if I was in Job's place... I'd probably have been the same way. Amen? I mean, he lost his children. He lost everything he had. The only thing that he was allowed to keep was his life and his wife. Everything else was pretty much taken from him. And even his wife said, curse God and die. Like, you want to die, curse God, and then God will kill you. But he, he said, I'm not going to do that, right? But he said, there's no hope for me in this world. And then I went over to the book of Psalms, and I was reading the psalmist David in chapter 6, I believe it was, and he was talking about how that all his enemies had risen up against him, and he had nothing. And he said God, he was praying that God would help him because he had hope in God in this life. And the understanding, the difference between the two is this, that Job said, there's nothing for me anymore. Everything good I've ever had is behind me. But, but, but David said this, there is good still ahead for me. And in the life of a Christian, you have never seen the best days that you're going to have. That until we reach God and we reach glory... I mean, it's going to be glorious up there. That's why Paul said to die is gain. But even in this life, Job did not see that God was going to double all the good in his life. Because we have hope 
in God. Amen? If you're saved this morning, you have that hope. The blessed hope. That glorious hope that we have a God who has not forsaken us. Amen? What a good thing that is. I hope this morning that you know that you're saved and that you've got uh, joy in your salvation. Amen? Amen. I, I did want to mention to you, we're going to get into the message here in just a moment. Uh, we've got revival coming up this week. I'm excited about it. I've been praying uh, Wednesday night. We, we took the whole evening and just prayed for revival. Amen. We prayed over the prayer list. And by the way, if you couldn't be in here Wednesday night, <clears throat> there's a few copies out there. Uh, and if you need one, we can get you another copy. Uh, and I believe that uh, we've even maybe got digital copies available. But we're praying together over those things. Uh, so I want to ask for your help with revival before we get into the sermon this morning. There's two things that I need you to do that's going to help me. It's going to help the church. It's going to help you. And that's pray for the revival. And secondly, and that's attend the revival. Let me, let me encourage you. You cannot reap the benefits of revival if you don't come. Amen. Now, I understand there's some you're going to be working. It's the way it's going to be. And we'll be praying for you that God will give you an extra blessing when you can't be here. Amen. But if you can be here, and you, you all know what that means when you can't, let me encourage you, please be here. Amen. I'm, I'm begging you to be here. I, I want to see God do something so great in your life that it transforms your life. Amen. From the oldest to the youngest in here. Amen. So please pray for revival and be here when you can. Uh, and, and let's, I know we got some that aren't here this morning. Some are traveling, Pop and Martha. And of course, we're going to miss them. I hate that it kind of fell the way it did with them going to the uh, quartet convention, but we're praying for them. Amen. So pray that God will give blessing to them. We've got some. Uh, some of the whales are, are singing this morning at, at Victory. They're having homecoming, so pray for them. And there's a few others who I know couldn't be this morning. Let's just pray for those who can't be here. Let's pray that God will bless the revival coming up this week. Amen? John chapter 3 uh, is where we've been now <clears throat> on Sunday mornings for some a few weeks here. And, and I want to go back this morning. Uh, John chapter 3. We're really only going to look at one verse this morning. And to be honest with you, halfway through the study, I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to get through it in one Sunday. But I think the Lord's going to help us <clears throat> uh, to get through everything that I want to say that the Lord has put on my heart about this verse. <clears throat> and really, uh, you wouldn't really probably even have to turn there for most of you. But last time we looked here, we looked down through the first part of the chapter. We had looked through verses 1 down through, I believe, verse number 8. And we had talked about the second birth, amen, how there is a, a birth of water and a birth of the Spirit, and what those two things mean, that birth of the water being your natural birth, when you were born into this world <clears throat> through your biological mother, the birth of the Spirit referring to a new birth, where the Lord Jesus said, you must be born again. That means you've been born once, and now you need another birth. And he began to explain how that was a birth of the Spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he taught Nicodemus on that concept. And then, in the next part of the chapter, from verse 10 down through verse number 15, he talked a little bit about <clears throat> how that he was the Son of Man, and he was speaking of things that are beyond uh, carnality. He said he's speaking of heavenly things, and how he wanted to teach him on those things. And he talked about how that in order for there to be a second birth, uh, that someone, he called him the Son of Man, would have to be lifted up, and he compared it to that serpent of brass there in the camp of Israel in the book of Numbers. And then he said in verse 15 that the reason that the Son of Man needed to be lifted up 
was so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he tells Nicodemus, and he is telling us now, that the reason that the Son of Man had to be lifted up, and when we hear that phrase, lifted up, we understand that he is talking about him being physically lifted up from the earth on a cross to die for our sins. We also understand that he is saying that he must be lifted up before all men so that men may see him, believe, and be saved. That's why he said, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. But when he says that, he is explaining the the way of receiving eternal life in verse 15. He says, you receive eternal life by believing in Him, Him being the Son of Man who's lifted up. So, now He is just throwing things at Nicodemus that Nicodemus does not understand. He is saying things that Nicodemus cannot comprehend. And to to an unbeliever, to someone who's never heard the gospel, He is saying things that don't exactly make sense to them. But after He has said the way in which we receive eternal life in verse number 15... He is then going to explain the why. Why is this happening? Why is uh, the Son of Man going to be lifted up? And why does this need to happen? Why is any of this possible? Why is the salvation of belief possible? Why would a holy, righteous, and jealous God, whom the Bible tells us He is, right? He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen? He said, I am a jealous God. He said, my name is Jealous, capital J. Jealous, that's who He is. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. In another place, the Bible tells us He is a terrible, which means a terrifying and scary God. He is. He is a righteous God, a holy God who is way up here. Why would that God send His Son to be hanged on a cross for us to be saved. Why? Well, John 3.16 gives us the why. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. As we're going to look at this passage, this verse that we have quoted, you see it on on road signs, you see it on bumper stickers, everybody knows it. What what exactly, why are we looking at it again? Because I'm, I'm hard convinced there is any greater truth in all the Bible than John 3.16. And this morning I want to look at it, I want us to look at it with fresh eyes and a soft and sensitive heart. Amen? So let's pray that God will speak to us through this verse. Our Father in heaven, Lord God, we are so thankful, Lord, for the opportunity once again to come here into your house. And God, to look at your precious word. God, it is holy, it's pure, it's true. God, I pray now, if you would, Lord, that you'd help me to deliver this word. God, I pray that you'd preach, Lord, through me with the power of the Holy Spirit this message. God, that it would pierce the heart of every individual who's here in this room and in this building today. God, if there is a child, God, today, a young person who is not certain of their salvation, God, I pray it would pierce their heart that they might hear their need for a Savior and be moved to come and to be saved. God, if there's an adult this morning, 
God, who's made a profession of faith, but has never truly been born again, then I pray today, God, that this Word of God would pierce their hearts that they would be saved. God, I pray for that Christian, God, whose heart has grown cold, God, whose, whose sensitivity to the Holy Spirit has been shut off like a closed door. God, I pray if there's one today who is saved, God, who is not moved by the, by the truth of this Word, God, that You would pierce their heart, Lord, that You'd cut through that hardness that might be in us, God, that we would be moved, Lord, to worship You, to acknowledge how wonderful and how true and how powerful and how blessed and gracious You are. God, I pray, please, help us this morning to hear Your Word, to receive Your Word. God, cleanse us of sin. Empty us, Lord, of ourselves and fill us with Your Spirit. We need You. We love You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> First, I want you to see God's proof of His love here in this passage. The question of why would God send His Son to die for the sins of a world that, if we're being honest, mostly hates Him. A God who is a holy and righteous and pure and elevated. Amen. He is, he is high and lifted up. That God who is so far above all of us that He would look down on mankind that is so far beneath Him, who again and again since the dawn of creation, He has drawn them to Him and then saw them turn away against Him once more, that He would then give His only Son to die for them. Why would He do that? The answer is very simple. Because God loves us. God loves us. Who? God the Father. Now when we look at this verse and we understand this is the Word of Christ, He's already talked about the Holy Spirit, hadn't He? He talked about the Spirit there in verse number 8, I believe it was, of chapter 3. We talk about how the wind blew it where it lists us. Yeah, there in verse number 8. But in verse 16, He then speaks directly concerning two others of the Holy Trinity. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, capital S, Son. So we see that word capital G, God. We understand that oftentimes, not every time, but most of the time, when, when we're looking at the word God, we are talking about God the Father. That's the Father. So I want you to see we're speaking of God's proof of His love. The Lord Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus something about his God that he never knew. Now, he knew that God loved him, because the Bible tells us God loves us. The Jews knew that God loved them. He knew that God loved his people. Yes, he did. But what he did not know was the extent of God's love. He did not understand the lengths to which God's love would go to bring him and everyone else salvation. He did not know the breadth of God's love concerning who He would extend His salvation to. It was not just come to Israel. But this salvation that Jesus talked about in verse number 16 is a salvation, a love that is extended to all men everywhere. And He did not understand that. But the Lord Jesus is going to explain it to him here. As I read this, I, I, am, I am immediately reminded of another verse in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 where it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody ever asked you to invest in anything? Or ever asked you if you wanted to buy something? A while back, Brother, uh, Brother Jeff came to me and asked us if we wanted any fresh sauce, some sausage he was getting made. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, you know, how much is it? And is it good? 
Right? That's the question. If I'm going to buy this sausage, I'm going to need to know two things about it. One, how much is it? And two, is it any good? The price sounded good. He said, yes, sir, it's good. And I look at Brother Jeff, and I've been around Brother Jeff enough to know he likes good food. If he's going to tell me it's good, I know he's got a standard. Amen. When we was having VBS that first year they're going to cook, they said, we ain't going to bring no junk in here and eat it. He said, I ain't going to feed these kids something I wouldn't want to eat at home. Amen. So I know when he gave his recommendation on that sausage, he said, it's good. I said, well, amen, bring me a roll. And you know what? He was right. It was good. He, could, he recommended it to me. That word recommend, it is an English word we use in modern vernacular that is built off of this word right here, commendeth. And here's what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says. God is recommending, and he is, what he's doing is he is putting his, his name out. He is putting his backing, his, his support, uh, with something, and that thing is His love. And how's He doing it? By letting His Son die for us while we were still sinners. He was investing in something that looked worthless with something that was without a measure of value. He was going to invest the jewel of heaven in something that to everyone else seems completely and utterly without value. A sinner. A sinner that God is going to, He is going to recommend, He is going to commend, He's going to back and stand. That word commend, it means to stand with, to show, to prove. He said, I'm going to put my stamp of approval and I'm going to show my love and I'm going to prove my love by doing this. I'm willing to back it now long before there's ever one return. Amen. That was His commendation for love, for, for us, for, for salvation was this. I'm willing to give my son before there's ever a single sign of a return. And by the way, he didn't do it for the return. And that was his commendation. The why is very simply God's proof of his love is he loves us. And he was willing to do the worst thing he could do to the greatest one he had just to prove it to the worst of us. Amen? I don't want to get hung up. Let me move a little more quickly. First, we see the exalted one in the first part of the verse. It says, for God. Who is that? We told you a second ago there. John 3.16, for God. Who is that? That is the Father. That's the God of heaven. The Father of all. He's the one who's responsible for, for, for setting up and creating and establishing the second birth. That's God the Father for God. The one who's called terrible and jealous in the days of old. We saw this, this God of heaven, the Father of all. He is holy. He is separate from sin, which He cannot bear. He is at the very top. You cannot go any higher than God the Father. There is no power. There is no authority. There is no wisdom, there is no intelligence, there is no understanding that can go higher than God. But not just higher. You know what the Bible says about the Lord in 1 Samuel 2, 2? There is none holy as the Lord. That means there's nobody even as holy as Him. And not only that, there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. said so there's none beside thee. What's that mean? Isaiah 45, he said the same thing. The Lord is speaking, and the Lord said, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. What does that mean? No one can even be equal. 
No one can certainly ever go beyond. And the devil tried, and it can't be done. There's nobody like him. There's nobody as high and lifted up as him. There's nobody as holy as him. There's nobody as powerful as him. He is God. He is at the very top. He is the highest there is. Verse, uh, he said, I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. You know what that means? There are no other gods. Amen. There is but one God. There is no Buddha God. There is no Allah God. Amen. There is one God, God Jehovah, and He is God of all, and His Son and His Spirit, they are one, and He is God. I am, He said. There's nobody like Him. There's nobody like Him. There's nobody beside Him. There's nobody above Him. He is the very top of all there is. That's who He is. That is the exalted one. For God. When he said for God, the, the amount of power and authority and the amount of influence that there was in those two words is immeasurable. Let's not skip over them. He's the exalted one. Then we see his extended affection when he says this, for God so loved the world. This world that God loves, let me ask you a question. What kind of place is it? Y'all ever hear these words? Man, the world's gone crazy. Can I tell you that's not true? The world's always been crazy. Since Adam fell, the world has been on nothing but a crazy path. And I can show you in the Scriptures, that's a fact. That the world that God loves, God created perfection in Adam and Eve. He gave them a purpose. He gave them everything they'd ever need, and they messed it up with the one thing God asked them not to do. Because that's how dumb we are. Amen? That the perfect and pure Adam and Eve who never sinned and innocent, complete innocence in that age of innocence, they blew it. They messed it all up, topsy-turvy, and now suddenly they're out of the garden and they're going forward and they are multiplying, they're filling the earth and replenishing the earth, and before you know it, in just a few short generations, here's what the Bible said about humanity. That all came from that one man and that one woman who knew God personally and had seen, I mean, seen crazy things. Here's what happened. This is what their legacy was. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know what that means, only evil? That means there was no good, it was only evil. That is the world. The world that God so loved in, in, 1 John, in John chapter 3, verse 16, that is that place that was so evil in Genesis chapter 6. You say, well, or, we, we know what happens, right? Well, it doesn't matter what you found on the web, Siri. Quit talking to me. It, re it repented the Lord, it said in verse number 6. It repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. You know what that means? God regretted making them. That's a powerful statement. I mean, that's way beyond, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Amen? He regretted that he'd ever even made them. And we know what happens. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? After the fall of Adam, the whole, the whole world went into sin. And then there was one righteous man, Noah, who God chose. He picked him out and his family. Noah preached. Nobody turned away from their sin. Noah gets in the ark. God floods the earth and starts over with Noah. And guess what? 
in a few generations, the world has gone right back to crazy town. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to get destroyed by fire after the whole world got destroyed by water. And God looks at man, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick one man and I'm going to create one nation and these will be my nation who I'm going to bless and exalt and use. And you know what that one nation could not do? Stay faithful to God. One nation, Israel. After God did miracle after miracle after miracle, He fed them out of the sky. He led them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He gave them vineyards they didn't plant, gave them cities they didn't build. He set them up kings, and He made them the, the, the jewel of all the earth. And they just couldn't stick with the right God. This is the world. These are the ones that God has blessed. These are the ones that God has given to. And these are the ones that God has loved. So let me ask you a simple question. Does God, do the people of the world deserve the love of God? No. Have we done anything to show God that we're worth His Son? Absolutely not. The very best of us have not earned the love that would send His Son to die for us. And most of us are not the best of us. Let's be real. This world is crazy. It's always been crazy. They hate God. They point their finger at God. And God looks down and says, you know what? I just, I love them. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter said this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. You know what that means? He puts up with a whole lot. I mean a whole lot. And He's long-suffering to us. What? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what that tells me? God doesn't want any of us to die and go to hell. He doesn't want any of us to suffer and to, and to enter into that eternity of suffering. What He wants is He wants every soul to repent and be saved. That's what He wants. He wants every boy and every girl and every man and every woman to turn away from their sin and to come to Him and be saved. That's what He wants. Why? Because He loves us. He wants to be near us. And He wants us to be near Him. But as we are in the sin that we are in, we cannot do it. But God so loved the world that it was a great love. It was an enormous love. It is an immeasurable love that goes beyond anything that we have done. There is no sin that can separate us from the love of God. There is no wrongdoing that can put us to a place that God will not come and rescue us if we will turn and repent. That He wants all. It's not His will that any should perish. That means not one, but He wants all. That means everyone to come to repentance. Say, ah, well, not me. I've just done too much. I've just gone too far. I've just messed up one too many times. You can't. It's not His will that any should perish. He wants to rescue you. That's His love. That is His, the, his extended affection. We see His exceptional gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. This is the proof of the Father's sacrificial love that He would give the most precious thing. 
Look at what the Father says to Abraham concerning sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 22 and verse 2, the Lord came to Abraham and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, I don't have time to go on the whole account, but you all know the story. How we looked just the other day. How that God, the Lord Jesus, in a pre-incarnate form, came and revealed Himself to Abraham and told him, you're going to have a son. You know who that is? The same one that now God is saying, I want you to take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, we often think about He's just going to take His Son and put Him on that altar, I don't know, stab Him. I've done it. But that's not how a burnt offering works. You know how a burnt offering works? When they would take those doves or those goats or those sheep, you can read about it when Abraham had prepared that offering before the Lord for their covenant. He put them in pieces. And now God is telling Abraham He wants to do that with His Son. You think, that's horrible. In theory, yes, it's horrible. But you know what's, what's, what's great about it is this. God doesn't ask Abraham to do that. Not really. He tests him to see if he'd be willing, and Abraham was willing. But in the moment when he would have committed that sacrifice, the Lord stops him and says, no, I, 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 didn't, I, I never intended you to actually do it. I just wanted to see if you feared God. And then he provided a lamb. But what God asked Abraham to do and did not require him to do, God the Father planned to do Himself for you and me. He said, I want you to take thy son, Isaac, thine only son. He only had one. And guess what? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten son. Only one. He said, that only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the father loved his son? In verse 16 of Genesis 22, that angel of the Lord appears and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. He said this, I've sworn by myself. And we've looked at that before, haven't we? When they did that covenant, and there was the furnace and the lamp. God the Father and God the Son performing the ritual of the covenant. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 said, For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God planned from that point from the beginning when He said one day that that seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He had a plan, and his plan was that one day, his son, the word that spoke the world into existence, would one day take on flesh. And when he did, that God was going to send him down, and down here he was going to die hung on a cross for you. You're not worth it. I'm not worth it. I love my children. 
but they're not worth that. Jesus is the best there is. He's above all of us. He's perfect. You know what he is? Sinless. Spotless. Perfect. And it pleased God to bruise him so that you wouldn't have to be bruised. The, the Son of God, being born a man, the exceptional gift of His only begotten Son, it makes no sense. Rationally, it makes no sense. I love all of you. But, but if it came down to my only Son, I, I believe y'all love me. Would you give your own child for me? There is not a love stronger than that. There's not. There, there is not a love stronger than that. God said, I love you. And I, I'm going to commend my love to you. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to give it my full approval. My seal of approval. And this is how I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to give the highest priced thing I have to give. You say, well, Brother Paul, honestly, what did he really give? At the end of the day, didn't Jesus resurrect and now he lives forever and he's there at the right hand of the Father? Yes. But did you know that God the Son is now different because of what he did? God the Son will never be the same. What do you mean? Hebrews chapter 12, verse, 20, verse 2 said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Say, what does that mean? He was so different from all of us that His own existence is a contradiction. He stood out, and Him standing out made those wicked men hate Him. Why? Because He was just so good. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 21 said this, He hath made Him, the Father had made the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What does that mean? You read the account of the gospel, you'll see that there is a point there where it falls darkness upon the earth during the crucifixion. And then Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We believe the reason for the darkness and the reason for Jesus' cry of my God, whom he had always referred to as his Father, is because God the Father turned his eyes from his Son. That means that that was the only point in all his life when he had ever been truly separated. What do you say? I and my Father are one. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Over and over, over and over, over and over. But right there, it was my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because Jesus became sin. All your sin, all my sin, 
when God looked on His precious, holy, perfect Son in that moment, you know what He saw? Everything He ever hated. He couldn't look. You know why? Because God can't look on sin. God can't bear sin. He hates sin. Hates it. So in that moment, Jesus went from being just like God to being the worst of all of us. In that moment, He became the personification of our sin as He died. And with His death, our sin died with Him. And now, we die to sin, and we are resurrected in the newness of life. That death of sin is just like Him when He said, It is finished. Into thy hand I commend my spirit. And He gave up the ghost. And when He died, the Bible says He descended into hell. Just as our sin died with Him when He was born, when He was raised again on that third day, we are raised in the newness of life. But when He raised again, you know what He was not? He was not like He was before. Put that next verse up there for me, Ms. Janet. What does the Bible say about Israel? One day they're going to look on Him. What are they going to see? They're going to see Him whom they have pierced. You know what that means? The holes in His hands, the holes in His feet, the hole in His side, they're still there. He's in a glorified and holy body, isn't He? Isn't He in a glorified and holy body? Yes, He is. The Bible tells us that when He had come out there, they wanted to touch Him. They couldn't. That verse is in John 19.37, Miss Jan. I don't know if I... John 19.37. So we know that after He's resurrected, He comes and He says to Thomas, Come, feel, put your hand. Now that precious, perfect, holy jewel of heaven, every time His Father looks on Him, will see the scars of the suffering and the pain Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, and every time I looked on one of my children, I saw the scars of their suffering, and I knew who was responsible. I don't think I'd feel love for them. Would you? Be hard to feel love for that person, wouldn't it? The person who hurt your child. Guess who hurt him? Isaiah tells us he was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our... The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Whose? Who put those holes in his hands? Who put those holes in his feet? Who put that hole in his side? Who was it? You. And who does God love so much that He would give His own Son? Who? You. What great measure of love God the Father has shown for you. That's the proof of His love. Can I tell you? Nobody will ever love you like that. Try as I might, I'll never love my wife as much as God loves me. No human can ever ever express 
the pure, unbridled, unconditional love of a God who would look on those who, who, who hurt His own Son and left Him scarred for the rest of eternity and feel love. But the Bible, says, Bible tells us quite clearly, John said it, he said, we love Him because He first loved us. That's the proof of His love. Let me give you the provision of His love. We'll be done here quickly. Once you see the availability, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? That whosoever... Now, there's been a lot of talk about that word. But let me tell you what that word means. It means all, every, and every kind. Whosoever. So in other words, in reference to the people that He's talking about, it means all people, every human, and every kind of person. Romans chapter 2 tells us there is no respect of persons with God. Acts chapter 10, as Peter received the vision from God concerning the cleanness of all animals and the cleanness of all men in the eyes of God, Peter said, he said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In other words, God extended salvation beyond just a few in Israel to all men everywhere, and that Jesus said the door of grace is swinging wide open, that whosoever, that means every person, every kind of person, all people everywhere can come to Him, and that person, no matter who they are or what they've done, can be saved. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the availability of His love. The action of the recipient is next. Whosoever believeth in Him. How simple is that? How simple and amazing is it that God, to establish salvation, had to send His own Son down who would live His life 33 years as a human, never sin in March to die for sins He never committed. What a great cost and a great trial and a great price that was. And for us, it's a gift. So what do I got to do? Believe it. That's it. All you've got to do is believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn to Him and say, you know what? I believe you and I don't believe this anymore. And I want you and I don't want this anymore. And I believe in the Son of God. And guess what? You can be saved. That's all it takes. How easy, how simple is it for any young boy or young girl or, or adult man or adult woman to look at God and to say, you know what? I believe. And I'm going to call on God to save me. And if I'll believe and call on God, you know what the Bible says? He'll save you. The availability of it, we see the action of the recipient. Very simple. We can look at it all through Romans 10, verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth uh, the, G, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in that heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. That suddenly the doors of heaven, the doors of salvation, the doors under the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son have swung wide open. And all you've got to do, all you've got to do to have it is believe. What a deal. What a deal. There is no cost in salvation for you. There is a cost to being a disciple of Christ. 
to going on for God and showing Him our love, that there is no cost for salvation. It's a free gift. All you've got to do is believe. Say, well, that's all that other stuff you're talking about. I'm worried about. Trust me. You get born again, you'll want to give Him your life. You get, I mean, gloriously saved, you'll want to pay Him back for what He's done for you. As I'm talking this morning about the price and the cost of the Son of God and all He did, those who were saved, we can't help but feel joy in understanding all that God did for us. Can I just tell you this morning? He's not got what He paid for in me. What a great God who would make salvation available unto all. And all the only action required for us is belief. For what? For the acquittal of our sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. You know what that means? If we don't believe in Him, we are going to perish. And He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance and to be saved. Why? Because Romans 6.23 said, For the wages of sin is death. That is just the way it is. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, it brought into their body an eventual death. Amen. That was it. And we are all now doomed to the same death. And we are facing that truth that we know in Romans 5.12 how that sin entered into the world in death by sin. We're all going to die one day. It's appointed a man wants to die. But my soul, if we die in our sin, we'll die again. But Jesus looking down, and God the Father looking down, He sent Him to die for us. Why? That we should not perish. There is a perishing that is coming to the unbeliever. And that perishing is not just the passing of this life, but it is a passing of the second death in hell for eternity. For what? For sin. Sin will drag you to hell. Period. It will. Whose? Mine. My sin will drag me into the pits of hell. The only thing that can rescue me from my own sin is a good old cleansing. And the only thing that can cleanse me is the blood of Christ. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of our sin, we're doomed to die. But thank God if we turn to Him, here's what Jesus said in John 8, 34, Very liberally I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You know what that means? Free? That means there is no more penalty for our sin. The hell that awaited us as judgment, that judgment's gone. Acquitted. Free. And we see the acquisition of eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting. Jesus went there to that well as He came through Samaria. He told that woman, if you knew what I had, you'd be asking me to draw water for you. She said, how are you going to draw? You don't even have anything to draw with. He said, you don't understand what I have. 
John eleven thirteen. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I need to close. But I want you to give me just a second before I do. Have you been saved? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just asking you. Have you been saved? Have you believed and been saved? Is there a moment in your life when you looked at God, you repented of the sin in your heart, and you said, God, I believe. Lord, will you forgive me? Lord, will you save me? And you put your faith, the Bible says it's by grace through faith. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in, and in putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. Have you been saved this morning? If you have, then what you've done is you've been given a drink of living water. Now that, that water that the Lord talked about, He said it's a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know what that means? If you've been saved, you've got everlasting life inside of you. You will never truly die. There'll come a day when your body will sleep, but your soul, your spirit will live forever in God. That's the promise. But that well of water inside of you, it is not just life after death but it is life in life. Everyone hear me, I, I'm almost done. The life of a Christian is the only true life. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. There's a lot of folk, they're walking around in this life dead as a doornail. They've got no joy They've got no peace. Do they endure suffering? Yes. Do we endure suffering? Yes. It rains on the just and the unjust. Guess what? We experience sickness, loss, death, pain. We experience those things. But while we experience those things in our body, we have within us everlasting life. There's nothing that can kill it. No circumstances can kill the life that is in me. I may be as Job and say, God, let me die. And I may be as Paul and say, to live as Christ but to die, that's gain. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what circumstance I'm in in this life, there's nothing that this world can do to, to kill the life that's in me. Because I've been saved, and there is in me a well of water, living, and Jesus said this, springing up. When's the last time you felt that? Those of you that are saved, if you're saved, and you say, Brother Paul, and I, and I was to say, Everyone, if you've been saved, raise your hand. I'm not, but if I was to say raise your hand, when's the last time you're going to raise your hand? When's the last time you felt the springing up of the well of God? Because there is a life that is within the child of God, within the saved individual, that should bring real, honest joy 
And it is our strength. How will we live in this world with joy if we don't have that strength of that well of water springing up? How do we have that joy? Because we understand that our God loves us. And He loved us so much that He gave His only Son to die for us. And when I think of me, you know what I think of? All my failures. All my faults. How bad a husband I am. How bad a father I am. How bad a child of God I am. How bad a pastor I am. If I think about me, man, I think about me, it's just bad. But when I think about Him, you know what it is? It's joy. In fact, when I see me for what I really am and I see Him for what He really is, oh, it's joy. It is a springing up when I think about my Savior. When we sing, what a, what a wonderful, beautiful, glorious name. There's no better name than the name of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. There's that joy. Can I say this morning, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, there's a problem. Living water springs up. What kind have you had? Amen. Living water springs up. Now, I'm not telling you you can't get to a point in life where you're low and, and suffering. You don't feel that? But man, have you ever felt that? Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the tears? Brother Joe gets up here some mornings, and, and I mean, he, we're talking about fishing or whatever 10 seconds ago. He gets up here and says the name Jesus, and suddenly he can't hardly talk. Y'all think there's a well in there? What about yours? Because living water never runs dry. Now it might be quiet, and the cares of life may push it down, and we may push God away, but if you're saved, there is something in here that cannot ever be destroyed. Do you have that? Because you should. You've got a reason to have joy this morning. That's the Son of God. Let me ask you this. We'll be done. Have you believed? Later in that chapter, Jesus says in verse number 25, He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Then He said this in chapter 11, Believest thou this? Mary and Martha there with Him. Martha's telling the Lord she knows that, he'll, he'll that Lazarus will resurrect one day. And Jesus said... I'm the resurrection. and He that believes in me, if you believe in me, he that believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And that question, that's my question for you this morning. It's easy to say, I've been saved. Isn't it? You go knock on doors. About everybody you ask, they go to church, they're a Christian. They've been saved. But believest thou this? Have you been saved? Can you go to a time in your life, you, when you asked the Lord to forgive you, to save you, and you put your faith and your trust in Him? I'm not talking about you grew up in church. I'm not talking about you joined the church. I'm not talking about you got baptized. I'm talking about you felt the drawing of the Holy Ghost telling you you were lost and needed to be saved, and you put your faith in Him and He saved you. Have you believed? Because if you have not, 
you're going to perish. But I've got good news. If you have not, if you can't, if you can't take me to that time, you can't tell me, not necessarily the day and the time and, and all those things, but if you can't tell me the, the account of how you put your faith in Him and you trusted Him and you were saved, you need to come do business with God. Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.